live from the Fremont Theater in Portland, Oregon, it's Portland Story Theater's Urban Tellers. May the narrative be with you. By the time I was diagnosed with HIV back in 1988, I was already well on a spiritual path. I had followed Shirley MacLaine off the mountain, out on a limb, and dancing in the light. August 17th of 1987, uh, Harmonic Convergence. Does anybody, is that familiar? Do you know what that is? Yeah, yeah. 144,000 Sundance Enlightened Teachers waking up in their dream mind bodies, and so, you know, here I am. I um, didn't know much about HIV time or the science of it or the medicine of it. It was very confusing and extremely spooky because no one really knew what was going on at that time. One thing I did know, that if it wasn't the AIDS that would get me, it might very well be the medication that they were giving out at that period of time. I can remember seeing my lover, John, in Arkansas lying there. He was one of the first people to be diagnosed there. And uh, he was sick and he got better and he was sick and he got better and then he was sick and they tried new medication on him and he was not better and he was dying. And by the time I saw him, he looked like a ghostly fetus on a bed or a bird just checked out the egg, but he wasn't there. That energy of him had sort of left the building. And then over and over again, I would start to see this the same way all the time. They're doing great. They're looking fantastic. All this wonderful stuff is happening. And then, boom, they're gone. Now, I don't know if this is like appropriate to say, but if you're HIV positive or an AIDS patient, in uh, 1988, Los Angeles was a really great place to be because the healing women gurus of uh, Louise L. Hay and Marianne Williamson, they opened their hearts and their homes and the town halls for us. I mean, we came in from West Hollywood by the hundreds to come together and to love each other and to, to find out where the healing is, you know, in all of this kind of thing. Help us. And they did, and it was such a beautiful thing, and I'm very you know, lucky, lucky that I had that. But I knew that I needed to be proactive, and I needed to be doing something because I wasn't taking the medication. So I thought, well, I need to get a healer. And I'm in Los Angeles. Everybody has a healer. <laughs> or a massage therapist, or an escort, or whatever it is that's gonna bring you back to center. And this woman that I found, her name was uh, Reverend Amy Wiggins, and she was a senior student at the Mystery School at the Healing Light Center Church for Hands-On Healing Therapy. And she was um, a registered nurse before she started to take these courses, so she had a profound knowledge of the body and what was going on with it. And that would come every Wednesday at 11 o'clock, and I'd lie on her massage table in this room, and it was very... You know, it wasn't anything fancy. It wasn't even a lot of stuff going on. It was just very quiet, very simple, and we talk about all kinds of things while she's working on me and whatnot. And then one day, I'm lying there on the table, and I started to get this really weird feeling. And I opened my eyes, and I couldn't believe what I was seeing. 
There are all these people looking like my ancestors, like the cast of the Waltons. <laughs> the farmer people, my people, they're, they're like all farmers types. And Amy said, well, why don't you ask what it is that they want from you? So I did. And this female's voice came into my ear and she said, go home, make peace with your father. Oh, fuck. <laughs> my mother, she is beautiful, funny, forgiving, and a frickin' rock. She was the hub of the wheel in my family. There is no doubt about that. Any kind of madness going on, she was there, straight there and centered the whole time, unflappable. I mean, like Hillary Clinton, unflappable. <laughs> An amazing woman. My father, on the other hand, well, that was another story. Um, number one, I thought he hated me because I was gay. I thought, well, you know, I'm so glad that I didn't tell them when I was a little boy that I liked other little boys because this is the 60s and the 70s and up until 1973, it was uh, homosexual, homosexuality was still a psychiatric illness. So I could have had aversion therapy, I could have had uh, shock therapy. I could have had a lobotomy, believe it or not. And uh, so anyway, my father he had a weight issue too. It was, he battled with this shit all his life. And he was like a powder cake ready to explode. And I used to tell people that, well, my dad has so much going on with him emotionally that if he doesn't deal with this, he's gonna fucking explode one of these days. Watch it, he's gonna die, he's gonna explode. So I had told my mother that I was HIV positive the Christmas before. That did not go well at all. As a matter of fact, she cried hysterically thinking that I was making something up in order to abuse her, that this wasn't even true. So I knew when it came to dealing with my father, I was gonna write a letter, and I did. And his reaction was to take that letter to his mother, my grandma Rennie, up in the Lake of the Ozarks. She read the letter and she said, oh, Butch, that's my father's nickname, Butch. <laughs> Dan's gonna be fine. He's just a carrier. You don't have nothing to worry about. <laughs> what the fuck is that? <laughs> I mean, I know what the fuck that is. That is someone who is in denial that is trivializing your disease so they can fucking deal with it. That's what that is. silence, huh? So anyway, I end up in, uh, oh, this other little fact you need to know. My father, his father, Buck LaForce, I look exactly like him. My dad shot him in a hunting accident when he was 15 years old. And so you look at a picture of him and me, it looks like the same guy, just in period clothes like the Waltons or, or whatever. So I found myself in September in Fort Smith, Arkansas, where it was hot as hell, as my mother would have said. 
And we're in the kitchen and we're making a salad and chopping up vegetables and listening to oldies on the on the radio. Mom used to she was in the kitchen, the oldies were going on. And we're like chop, 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 and you know, joking and making each other laugh and being silly and stupid. And then my dad walks through the door. And I hadn't seen him yet. And I went to to chop down on the cucumber and it slipped and I cut my finger. And his blood dripped down onto the cucumber. And I picked up my finger and I said, does anybody want AIDS? I couldn't believe I said that. But you know what? It was true. It was true. I was thinking, my God, you know, would you love me if I have AIDS? You know, would I still be okay if I had, had AIDS? Is that, anyway. That was the deal on that. Um, we did have dinner that night and it was very much on a neutral ground. I mean, we were talking about TV shows and music and at the time that was Twin Peaks and my father, for some reason, had really, really been impressed by this new country singer called Garth Brooks. And he was like, oh, Danny, he reminds me so much of you. And I'm like, okay, really, own country music. That should be interesting. So my brother and I, we go to the movies at night, and when we come home, my father's lying on the sofa with a bowl of ice cream on his stomach. <laughs> it's funny, but it's rather pathetic, to be honest with you. And um, I went to bed that night, and I was really, really disturbed. I could hardly sleep. My sweating like mad. And, and I had a dream of that grandmother, and I had my hands around her throat, and I was shaking her, saying, why the fuck did you say that to my father? I woke myself up. I was, like, really disoriented, and I had my little Dayglo shorts on and my Batman T-shirt my hair pulled back in a mullet, and, and I'm... I walk out, stumble out into the foyer of the, of the house, and this knock comes on at the door. And I'm like, this is really weird. No one ever knocks at the door. So I open the door, and there's this man standing there, Arkansas State Police, um, like a highway patrolman with a smoky bear hat and the whole nine yards. And he said, uh, son, is your mother at home? And I said, no. And he said, well, I need to speak with her. We need to wait for her to get back. And I said, no, no, that's not gonna happen. You're gonna tell me what it is that you need to tell her, and then we'll deal with it from there. And then he told me, my father had been killed by a drunk driver that was driving down the wrong side of the freeway that was looking to kill himself. And I said, okay, you need to go. You need to go now. Because the reason was, I did not want that image stuck in my mother's head. My father was a highway patrolman and a policeman when I was a little boy. And I couldn't have that freaking thing happen. So I closed the door and I took a deep breath and the tears started to bump up my eyes and I was like, oh my God, my fucking God, he blew up. He did, he blew up. And all of a sudden, this waves of, of grief starts hitting me, and my brother is there, and, 
and he's got it, it's hitting him, and you know what? There is nothing that prepares you for the death of a loved one that gets ripped away from you by, by an act of violence. So again, these waves of, of grief are hitting us, and we're on the floor, and you know, <laughs> crying, and the snot is going, and, and I'm banging my head up against the wall at one point. It was really ugly. They don't show this shit on television. And finally, my brother pulls himself up and he says, because my father was supposed to go to Jenny Craig this day, he says, I guess dad didn't want to go on that goddamn diet anyway. <laughs> and we both started laughing and ended up in a heap on the fucking floor. And my mother gets home. And um, I sat her down and I got on my knees. And I held her hands and I looked into her eyes and I could see that she knew that something was coming. The veins in her eyes were like beating. I could see that and I told her and she just melted. The rock just crumbled. She just kept saying no, 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 no. Later on with all the food and the people that show up during this kind of thing that happens, a man shows up at the front door, and he wants to talk to me. And he says, well, are you Danny? Are you Daniel LaForce? And I said, yeah. He said, well, I need to talk to you. So we went into the living room, we sat down, and, um, and I did not know who this man was. He said, Daniel, I think your father would want me to tell you this. He loved you so much. He spoke about you every single day. He was blown away by the things that you could do. And he just didn't know how to communicate to you. He left. I went out into the yard. And I'm crying and crying. And I'm saying, Dad, what is it that you want me to know? Do you have a message for me? What do you want me to do? And the, voice I heard said, sing, sing, Daniel, sing. And I'm like, I don't understand. Well, a few weeks, months actually later, I got a copy of the accident reports. And yes, this man was trying to commit suicide. And yes, he was on some kind of a psychiatric medication that was mixed with alcohol. But the really astonishing thing was that there was a woman in an SUV with a bunch of children driving side by side with my father down the freeway. And the man in the other trucks coming this way, my father moves in front of her and the children to take the hit. An act of extraordinary courage, heroism, I don't know. I'll never know for sure. Finally, after two Frickin funerals. They even lost a body at one point. I get on the airplane and I'm gonna come back to Hollywood. And I'm sitting there and I put the earbuds in my ear to listen to some music and all of a sudden I hear this country music playing. There's a sound of thunder clapping in the backgrounds and it was Garth Brooks. <laughs> And the sun grows cold in an August night, and the thunder rolls. And in that moment, all 
of the, the anger and the resentment and the frustration, the miscommunications, all that started to just melt away. And my father and I were beginning an atonement process, you know, and it's a very powerful thing. If you want to talk to the dead, play their music. I'm serious, you know, not just play and say this is going to happen, but play it and play it and play it. They will show up. And you need to find out what it is you're going to ask. And if they say something that you don't want to hear, <laughs> then you can just act like they didn't say it and go on and do, do whatever it is that you wanted to do. And I think that, you know, most of all, I think it's all about that, that healing, that peace, that peace I was able to start to get with my father. Peace transcends all the resentments. Because you know what? If the disease doesn't get you, the resentments can.